With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Anything But Footy. This is the podcast where we put the spotlight on Olympic and Paralympic sport. Now, Tokyo 2020 is looming. Stars will be born. Legends will be cemented. There will be blood. There will be sweat. There will be tears. There will be heartbreak and drama. We will witness iconic medal moments. Another chapter in sporting history will be written in around about one year's time. And you will hear all the build-up to Tokyo 2020 on anything but footy. And on the agenda on this podcast, we've got athletics, we've got marathon, we've got hockey, we've got tennis, and, of course, we'll be talking about Casta Semenya. I'm Michael. And I'm John, and we'll also be on the finish line of the Tour de Yorkshire. From Mariana Voss looks across over her shoulder. She goes across the finish line. She's the winner of stage two. She's the queen of Yorkshire. Pasta Semenya, of course, has been the biggest sports story of the week. And we've been reading plenty of your opinions. You can always get in touch with us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. And you can drop us an email as well. Anythingbutf at gmail.com. Please like, please download, please share, please rate the podcast as well. You can find it through your usual podcast providers, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, you will find Anything But Footy. And let's start in Doha and the Diamond League meeting, and Casta Semenya. She won the 800 metres race, but will it be the last time she wins on the track in such sensational style? I guess the first thing to say, my first observation about the week and Casta Semenya, is that this is an incredibly emotive, difficult, complicated topic for discussion. We've heard plenty of opinions during the course of the week, and it's all about the IAAF and the Court of Arbitration of Sport. And this week, the CAS, the Court of Arbitration of Sport, upheld an IAAF decision that says that athletes like Casta Semenya and others will have to reduce testosterone levels. They produced a 165-page report 
three judges sat across this for two months and the regulations came into effect virtually immediately. Now, the IAAF said this wasn't about Casta Semenya, but, well, it's very difficult to get away from the fact that the double Olympic gold medalist and the three-time world champion over 800 metres, the lady that's been unbeaten in the last 30 800-metre races that she's taken part in, will be the person that is most in the spotlight following this decision. So what it means, basically, is that athletes will have to reduce their testosterone levels and they are being encouraged to take that suppression treatment as soon as possible. So yes, look, she appealed the decision by the IAAF to make her take drugs. Slightly ironic, uh, but basically to lower her testosterone, which they say, and studies say, gives her an advantage. Now, I've known, we've known Semenya since before 2012, but haven't really read that much into it, didn't really know too much about it. I thought it probably would have been a bigger story in the uh, 800 metres when she won that uh, race at London 2012. Uh, But, you know, how we get caught up in our own stories, success, the British success, it all faded into the background. Uh, And likewise in Rio and again at London 2017, I think you actually interviewed her, Michael, and I can remember uh, saying as I was working for LBC and Hart, you know, my listeners aren't interested in her. I'm not going to do an interview with her. Uh, Frankly, they are now. But I had two questions from this case that I wanted to to kind of get the answer to and had to do a bit of uh, digging around to try and find them out. Um, And, you know, when this story broke um, and you did a brilliant piece on uh, TalkSport 2 and explained everything that had happened, I think I kind of WhatsApped you straight away and said, look, I've got two questions which I really think we need to find out for our podcast. Uh, And one of them is a big question and it's really difficult. You know, we're talking about um, personal issues here and it is a really tough conversation, as as you rightly say, uh, you know, a lot of respect for Semenya. Um, you know, was, but these questions had to be asked, was she female or male? And how many people does this affect? You know, is it true that as some are claiming that it's just about Semenya? And could it be a racial slur against her? So I did a lot of reading. And, and frankly, it's really difficult to find out the answers. And, uh, and when it was first reported, the BBC said that she was intersex. They called her intersex. Now, frankly, again, I didn't really know what that meant. And so, I, again, I had to, to try and find out what that meant. Now, look, I agreed with Paula Radcliffe and Sharon Davis, who, you know, it's wrong to say they're opponents, but, you know, they have a, a different view. Uh, and again, they're pushing, um, you know, that they are worried about the future of women's sport. Uh, they say that it's a danger if it's not ultimately fair. You know, what is the point of having women's sport um, if ultimately it's not fair. So I agree with Paula Radcliffe and Sharon Davis, and I also disagreed with the people saying it's the same as Michael Phelps having a wide arm span or Usain Bolt having longer legs um, or his reaction times. Ultimately, in athletics, it's men competing against men. That was the decision made, uh, women against women. And going back to biology lessons, again, I had to do a lot of research on this. I wasn't very good at school, couldn't really remember. Um, Men have XY chromosomes, and women XX. And that's what athletics categories are judged on. Absolutely nothing else. So, you know, with all this in mind, I'm still trying to find the answer to my original question. Uh, and what I finally discovered, and the CAS statement makes absolutely clear, is that Castor Semenya has both XY, so both male and female chromosomes. And if she didn't, the regulations wouldn't apply to her. And, and big up and well done to Robert Johnson from the Let's Run website. He gets this absolutely spot on. Uh, we tweeted it, anything but F, on our Twitter account. It's well worth a read. Have a read if you want to have a bit more detail on that. So ultimately, how can an intersex um, be allowed to compete in a women's race? Well, the IAAF said the only way you can is taking drugs 
um, and lowering the testosterone, which does give an advantage. And it's why men and women don't compete against each other in athletics. It mean, This means that they can, and ultimately, there is a level playing field. The IAAF did have limits, of course, between 2011 and 2015. If you look at Casta Semenya's times during that period, uh, 2015 she was down to 159.59, but in 2014 she was running 202.66 for an 800-metre race. Now, if you look at her times in 2018, 154.25. So we're looking at a potential difference here of around about seven seconds in her time. Now, the IAAF obviously researched this, and they tried to demonstrate, they did demonstrate, and that was upheld, that female athletes with this elevated level of testosterone would have what they described as a 3% improvement in performance. Now, the IAAF did scrap this research eventually after Semenya and others argued against it, of course, and this is then the research which has now now been represented, if you like, and now been upheld by the Court of Arbitration of Sport. Taking it back to the individual, and as we said right at the start of this, Lord Coe has always claimed this wasn't a policy aimed at an individual, uh, but Casa Semenya obviously brought this appeal. Taking it back to her... I think she's carried herself with great dignity throughout. And I mean, not just throughout the last week or so, but I think the past decade. Because, you know, 10 years ago, she had to undergo gender testing. Imagine if someone came up to you and said, we need to test your gender. Now, the results of that that gender test were, were never made public. We can only speculate what the result was. The perceived wisdom, and what you've just said there, is that the test highlighted both male and female characteristics and therefore the higher level of... Of testosterone than normal and I totally agree with you I think it's very simplistic and this was probably the position I was taking maybe a couple of weeks ago but I've educated myself about it in the past couple of days like you have I think it's incredibly simplistic to say well surely if you've got longer legs that makes you a better sprinter surely if you've got longer arms that makes you a better swimmer I think that is an over simplistic explanation of what we've seen here with Casta Semenya I'll just read as well her statement she she tweeted initially where she said sometimes it's better to react with no reaction uh, she came out with a statement a little bit later on and she said I will once again rise above and continue to inspire young women and athletes in South Africa and around the world. I should also mention, of course, that this ruling only takes into account a small number of races. So we're only looking at 400 metres, 800 metres, up to 1,500 metres. And, of course, in the way that these things so often are, Castor was on track in Doha at the Diamond League just days later. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I totally agree. You know, she's a double Olympic champion, for goodness sake. You know, she should be allowed to compete, but it has to be a level playing field. And and the second question I really wanted an answer to um, was how many people does this actually affect? It's called DSD. Um, how many people have it? And apparently, again, doing the research, not more than 2% of the population. So it's not just about Castor. But not that many people do have DSD. However, what's really interesting and, and, and intriguing is the report suggests the top three, the gold, silver and bronze medalists at the Rio 2016 Olympics in the 800 metres all had some kind of testosterone advantage. Now, the IAAF and SEBCO had to act. They had to act. But, you know... I do feel sorry for Casta Semenya. I have sympathy for Casta Semenya. But I tell you what, she there has to be a level playing field. But she has come across incredibly well. She's behaved herself. She, the way that she has come over, the way she's held herself, I think the CAS 
really praised her as well and her demeanour. You know, that has been incredible. Unfortunately, some of her supporters haven't quite um, behaved like that. Let me ask you a question as well about um, a British athlete that has has spoken at length about this and she's spoken at length about it because she's been asked about it at length and that that is Lindsay Sharp who you know we've got used to seeing trailing in behind Casta Semenya now she's been very outspoken over the years Lindsay Sharp and I think some people got on Lindsay Sharp's back about this and thought maybe she was if you like um, targeting Casta Semenya but has has opinion changed do you think slightly towards Lindsay Sharp based on some of the the, the knowledge that we've gained about DSD, which uh, means difference in, in sex development over the past few weeks. Do you have a little bit more sympathy for Lindsay Sharp now? No, look, I'll, I'll be really honest. She's not one of my favourite athletes. And, you know, we've spent many a time uh, in a mix zone, Michael, and we've talked about it on anything but footy uh, before. And, you know, I often say to you, look, I really can't be bothered to interview her because <laughs> she's just miserable. And, you know, in, in those mix zones, interviewing after a win is bad enough trying to get um, you know words or more than two words from anyone after a defeat or a performance they're not very happy with is near impossible. So, look, I've probably spoken to her once or twice, uh, but the fact that her and her family have had reported death threats or the abuse that she gets for complaining about the advantage of Semenya. You know, I've seen on social media, you know, she finished sixth in Rio, you, and we talked about those three medal cases there, uh, or eighth in Doha this week, and people saying, well, you've only finished fifth, or you only finished seventh, how can she affect you? And the abuse that she's got over social media, um, I just think it's absolutely, simply unacceptable. And look, this is a wider problem than this case, um, but social media, um, sticks and stones may break my bones, we all know that, but words will never hurt me. I actually think it's the other way around now. I think words are more... It, it, you know, the words on social media do invariable damage and many, many people hide behind anonymity. I mean, we, we often talk about the glory summer of London 2012 and the world and the country was in such a great place. And it was the same with social media. Everyone was happy. Everyone was, uh, you know, delighted to be on there telling people what they were doing. Now it's just people being miserable and people having a go at people and people being, frankly, <laughs> you know absolutely outrageous on there and saying things they would never say to anyone in person it's like when you know when you talk to your boss you will say things on an email to your boss more than you would face to face it's so easy to hide behind that computer so anyone who does that should be ashamed and look and total contrast to how Casta Semenya has behaved and applauded by the CAS as I said for the way that she's conducted herself but uh, you know Lindsay Sharp um, and her family you know so much respect for her um, and, and she's doing the right thing you just focus on what you're doing and, and just ignore the naysayers I echo every word you've just said there and we're speaking at length about this Casta Semenya case on anything but footy this week but we make no apology about that because I think it, it could potentially be the biggest sporting story of the year and could potentially lead to a change in athletics the way we know it. So as you said, we've always had men against men, women against women. Could we be heading to a a different setup where maybe we've got, and, and I... I don't really want to use this phrase, but I think people will understand what I mean. A Paralympic-style categorization in athletics. Is is that where perhaps we're heading, where people's genetic makeup, if you like, is tested, and then people with a similar genetic makeup race or throw or jump against people with another same similar genetic makeup? Is, is that perhaps where the world of athletics will head? I... 
suspect it's a long way off if it is going to go that way. Um, but I wonder whether that is the end game. I, I think it's the question that you have to ask. You know, we said earlier that the IAAF and SEBCO had to do something. But actually, is it time, as you say, to embrace it? Is it time to, to look towards the future? It's not going to be immediate, but actually, should they embrace it? And so you can have, um, you know, athletes in certain events um, equal competing against their, their equal. Um, but will it stop the naysayers and the Twitter doomsayers saying it's been an establishment fit up? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure it will. But something has to be looked at going forward. This is Anything But Footy, the podcast where we put the spotlight on Olympic and Paralympic sport. Names on the agenda still to come. Dina Asher-Smith, Mo Farah, Joanna Conta will also be talking hockey and will also be talking squash. Not an Olympic or Paralympic sport, of course. It is in the Commonwealth Games and it is a sport we cover on Anything But Footy. We'll also be putting the focus on women's sport very shortly. But the country hosted a huge event across the bank holiday weekend. Millions were out on the streets of Yorkshire, an event that they say generates around about £98 million for the local economy, an event that brings around £2.6 million to the roadside. 190 countries around the world broadcast the race live uh, when the weather allows it. 12.5 million people watched it on TV. Two national parks, one area of outstanding natural beauty, 150 towns and villages, 274 kilometres of new roads, 12 classified climbs, eight intermediate sprints. I'm talking, of course, about the Tour de Yorkshire. I tell you what, you can, t- you can tell he's covered that uh, in the wind and the rain and the howling gales on Scarborough Seafront. Um, absolutely incredible stuff, some great stats there. It's a bike race, but more than a bike race. You know, this event is, is getting there up in the public consciousness uh, and particularly for the people of Yorkshire. You know, we all thought it would be a race dominated by the start and the launch of Team Ineos replacing Sky, the four-time Tour de France winner Chris Froome riding. We knew it would be live on ITV4 all day. You know, maybe moving forward it needs to see if ITV can to move it onto one of their main channels. But both the men's and women's race on the same course, the same prize money. Local favourite uh, Lizzie Dynan trying to win the race for a second time, literally months after giving birth uh, to her first child. Uh, and as you say, so many people lining the right, 1.9 million lining the route, 800,000 on the last day uh, alone. And congratulations to Team Ineos. They did win it for the first time, but it was Chris Lawless, not Chris Froome, who became the first British man to win the Tour de Yorkshire in its fifth staging with a two-second cushion over defending champion Greg Van Avermet and fellow Ineos rider Eddie Dunbar in third. Uh, Van Avermet won the final stage, but not the overall race. And it was quite a four days uh, of action. Now, actually, I sat and watched it really for the first time. You know, I've worked on uh, on planning for the event and and, and being across it from, from, you know, from a work perspective, but never really been there or watched it. And I actually sat and watched the last 50 kilometers of the men's race on ITV4. And, And seeing Chris Froome up close in action, the, the way he broke in that last 50 kilometres, um, you know, nobody could live with him with that pace going up the hill. Well done to Team Ineos for their first tour, their first victory. Uh, I also was particularly impressed by the crowd in Otley. Uh, the hills, the spills, the weather, the Yorkshire rows flying uh, was a great sight to see. But in a week where women's sport has rightly had a huge focus, Michael, uh, you've been covering the two days of the ASDA Women's Tour to Yorkshire. It's been a phenomenal event. It puts Yorkshire on the map again. Um, we've seen the crowds out in their numbers. The, the, the winner is Yorkshire. 
you know, global pictures in 190 countries of Yorkshire's beauty. We've had some damp days, but it's not dampened the spirit. We've had some really sunny days. We've had some fantastic sports. It's a great advert for Yorkshire. And it's an elite sporting event. You only have to look at the women's field. There's been no finer field of women cyclists put together anywhere in the world, has there? No, this, this is an amazing lineup. We've got 14 at the top. 15 women's teams. We've got countless, the best women's riders in the world. We moved the women's race this year to Friday and Saturday so they would get more crowds. Tick, that happens. They have ridden for the first time the identical courses that the men have ridden. So 364 kilometres, 3,200 metres of climbing, live on TV and equal prize money. So, you know, it's always been a passion of us at Welcome to Yorkshire and particularly with ASDA that, you know, women's sport, women's cycling, we need to give it the prominence and we've managed to do that. On the seafront in Scarborough, Mariana Voss looks across over her shoulder. She goes across the finish line. She's the winner of stage two. She is the queen of Yorkshire. She adds the Tour de Yorkshire title to her Olympic gold medal and her multiple world championships. Mariana Voss, the winner. Yes, uh, I'm very happy to to win here and uh, end this with a, with a big win. And we spoke this morning, you were very worried about the wind and the rain. How brutal was it out there? I wasn't worried. I was uh, just uh, prepared. <laughs> we were. We knew it was going to be a tough day. And, uh, yeah, uh, but that's for everybody. And I think we were uh, well prepared for, uh, for a hard day. Well, Lizzie, a real tough day at the office. You're obviously shivering, but most active rider on the stage. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, I probably wasn't uh, the best tactical moves today, uh, but I was just on the limit physically, so um, I wasn't, you know, making the most intelligent decisions, but had a good race. Final word from me. Obviously, you know these roads, you know these crowds as well, but sum it all up for the last two days. Uh, yeah, I think the whole women's peloton is incredibly grateful for the support that we've received to the organisation, for all the people behind the scenes. It's been a, a real top-class uh, race, yeah. Well done. Thank you. That's Otley's Lizzie Dignan speaking to me after winning the jersey for being most active rider on stage two, which was Bridlington to Scarborough. A couple of quick observations I'd like to make, having covered every edition of the Tour de Yorkshire and uh, been working pretty much on every stage that's ever been held. The thing that I like most about it is the access you get to the cyclists, because what happens is... The cycling teams all kind of turn up around about two hours before they're meant to start and they park their caravans and their motorhomes up in in a car park, literally a public car park, and anyone can go there. So you can go wandering around, you can have a look at Mark Cavendish's bike, you can hang around, and then the cyclists will come out and they'll do a little bit of a warm-up, you can get your photos, uh, have your autographs, Uh, they will wander around, some of the less high-profile cyclists will wander around a little bit more, people like Mark Cavendish might hide out in their coach a little bit more. Then they have to cycle from where that car park is and where all the motorhomes are lined up. People like Lizzie Dignan and Anna van der Breggen and multiple world champion like Mariana Voss, who we just heard from there. Then they have to cycle up to the start where they get introduced onto the stage and then they have to hang around on the start line. And from a media point of view, it's fantastic because 
you have access to go and hang around on the start line with them. So they're there for about 10 or 15 minutes waiting for the race to start. And you can just wander up to these multiple world champions, Olympic champions, and you can say, any chance of a quick interview? It's the equivalent of walking out with Harry Kane at Wembley alongside him and the mascot just before kickoff. And as they're doing their little warm-up and the captain's in the centre tossing the coin, of sidling up to them and going, here, Harry, couple of words for radio, please. That is the equivalent that you get at the Tour de Yorkshire. And it's fantastic access, not just for media, but for cycling fans, general fans as well. You can go up to Chris Froome. You can pretty much touch the bike. You know, you can see him up close, get your selfie with him. And I think that's one of the reasons why cycling, road cycling, has really, really taken off. But my second observation is about the, the importance that the Tour de Yorkshire has put on the women's race. And I think this has always been a deliberate policy to try and make the women's race as much of an equal as they can for the men's race. So this year they had equal prize money. This year they rode on the same route, although I have to say on the on the second stage the women had to miss out one of the climbs because there were some suggestions uh, that protesters poured oil on the road. So one of the climbs had to be missed out. So it wasn't quite the same route because they got it cleared up for the men later on in the day. Two stages for the women. Obviously, uh, more stages for the men. It would be nice to, to equal that. But I just think it's an absolutely tremendous event and a brilliant event for, for women's sport. And it was interesting as well. I was reading the BBC website report today where they've described Chris Lawless as the first British winner of the Tour de Yorkshire, completely forgetting, of course, that Lizzie Dignan won it before. She won the very first women's race. And women's sport... Yeah, well, for a, for a, an organisation that this week launched a campaign about women's sport and launched their hashtag Change the Game campaign with Gabby Logan and Claire Boarding and all the others, I think it's a, it's a little bit remiss of the state broadcaster. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you could be right there. And as you say, I think it was Peter Dodd from Welcome to Yorkshire uh, saying that there were 15 of the world's leading women cyclists in that race alone. So uh, congratulations to them. Incredible stuff. But before we talk more about uh, women's sport in, in general, Michael, just a, a quick question. You know, has this race hit the public consciousness? Is it a national sporting event? Interestingly, when I obviously was chasing the cyclists around Yorkshire over the, the bank holiday weekend um, and you try and interview spectators on the roadside, I would say 50 to 60 percent are, are local and from Yorkshire um, and are maybe just standing in their own town, village, watching the race. Um, but I would say a significant proportion of people travel. I spoke to a couple that, that make it a, a week every year where they come up from Wales. I spoke to people up from, from London for it. In terms of its importance, whether it's it's there with the boat race, the London Marathon, uh, the Open Golf, um, things like that, I'm not sure it's at, it's at that level yet. It needs probably, as you say, more extensive television coverage, but I think it's well on its way. And, you know, I think there's credit to, to Welcome to Yorkshire. It was an interesting one this year for Welcome to Yorkshire. It was the first post-Sir Gary Verity race. Now, he's been synonymous with the race. He's been front and centre of the race. I thought Peter Dodd was a lot less ho- high profile over the weekend, um, actually a lot more amenable and available for people like me to speak to him than Sir Gary Verity ever was. And I think the race actually sort of benefited from that. It wasn't about Gary Verity and other people in their mustard trousers and their tweed jackets coming across the finish line in the fast cars and taking the applause. I think the focus was very much on the race itself. And uh, as I said, a great event, probably the best ever lineup of uh, female cyclists that have ever been put together for one race. So, you know, I think we can put that 
in our women's summer of sport, which will continue uh, with the World Cup in France between the 7th of June and the 7th of July. Wimbledon, uh, Netball World Cup, of course, uh, the Ashes, British Open Golf, Solheim Cup. Now, Yorkshire will host the World Championship Road Cycling in Harrogate at the end of September, so they'll be back. And then you've got the Athletics World Championships and the Athletics IPC Championships as well. And the Sunday Times, actually, Rebecca Myers, one of the Sunday Times journalists, uh, has put together a fantastic pullout, if you can get hold of that, all about the women's summer of sport. And uh, congratulations as well to, I know we don't talk about football, but Manchester City, who won the the FA Cup, the Women's FA Cup. I mention that because 43,000 people went to Wembley. There's a sea change of opinion, I think, as far as women's sport as is in this country at the moment. I, I really do think now is now is an opportunity and, and women's sport, the administrators behind women's sport, the people that take part in women's sport, the volunteers that help women's sport, they really need to grasp this opportunity now and, and pick that baton up and run with it, to use a sporting metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about running with it, what a performance from T- Dina Asher-Smith. The, of course, last summer, the three-time European gold medalist in Berlin. She ran the fastest in the world, too, last year as well. But was that the big question we all had? Was it a one-season mid-Olympic cycle wonder? Was it all from Dina? Were other people taking a back seat slightly? Well, not from what I saw in Doha in the first Diamond League meeting of the outdoor season. In the 200 metres, she totally dominated the field, storming to victory in a new world lead time of 22 20 it was a great start to the season could she do it again in the world championships later on uh, in Doha this summer the only thing I would say is hopefully there'll be a few more people watching in the stadium yeah well unfortunately that is the problem when you take these major events to a lot of the major cities around the world that just haven't got the tradition the history of watching sports like athletics staying with athletics Mo Farah I got this wrong last week I hold my hands up I got this wrong not been selected or asked not to be selected to run the marathon at the world championship so it's most likely he will return to the track and the 10,000 meters looking to retain his title uh, that he won in London the gold medal there so Mo Farah after his I guess disappointment with the London marathon performance has um, perhaps decided that marathon running is not for him and as I said I got that wrong last week because I thought he was going to continue or at least should continue at least this season through to those world championships yeah and that performance in the marathon we talked about it in our episode Moe's Marathon uh, in the last edition of anything but footy well worth going back and having a listen to that if you do but um, if you want to it shows how disappointed he was really uh, in that performance and uh, and as you rightly say maybe he'll now go on uh, and go to the 10k on the track again despite retiring after London 2017 uh, we will wait and see whether that happens quick word on uh, Callum Hawkins and Charlotte Perdue who earned selection for the men's and women's marathons at the World Championships in Doha uh, following their best performances in London and uh, Dewey Griffiths and Tish Jones also selected as well. Talking of team selections uh, British Swimming have named 24 swimmers for the now to be staged in London World Para Swimming Championships in September Alice Tay, Maisie Summers Newton and newcomer Rhys Dunn all broke world records up in Glasgow to secure their selection for London 2019 Ellie Simmons uh, also will return to the scene of her London 2012 triumphs after returning to swimming after a year out. And we talked about all that in the episode Moe's Marathon and Social Media Splash, it was called. Uh, It was a great addition. Uh, We had a special guest, Adele Carlson, as well. Uh, Well worth, if you've missed that, going back and having a listen to it. 
Quick mention for squash. England's men have won the European Team Championships in Birmingham. England's women lost the final to France. Scotland's women came fourth. Britain's women's hockey team currently eighth after another defeat in the International Pro League at Lee Valley Hockey Centre in the Olympic Park. The Olympic champions were beaten 2-1 by China. The last time they lost to the opponents was way back in London 2012. Laura Unsworth won her 100th cap, but not much to cheer. Hangover, retirements, injuries all impacting ahead of a successful defence of the title in Tokyo 2020. Just how difficult is it to retain an Olympic gold medal? Yeah, Great Britain's men lost a shootout to Spain. And we have a double header of fixtures to look forward to now. Uh, Belgium and Argentina for the uh, women later on in May. Uh, The men also uh, playing later on in May as well in the FIH Pro League Hockey. And Joanna Conter returning to the form of 2017. Of course, she reached the semis at Wimbledon uh, way back then. Uh, she made her first ever clay court final on tour, uh, losing the Moroccan Open final, unfortunately. But after that Fed Cup win and starting work with a new coach in October, maybe looking good for the British number one again and the two-time Grand Slam semi-finalist with Wimbledon just a matter of weeks away. John just used the phrase way back then, about 2017. And that is the way sport goes. Tokyo 2020 is looming. And you will hear all the build-up right here on Anything But Footy. Do keep in touch this week. We love to read your messages. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. You can always email us as well, anythingbuteffortgmail.com. Please like, please share, please download and please rate Anything But Footy. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.